Hello there. Hello there. Hello there. I greet you with Jesus joy. And uh, we're certainly delighted and elated for all of you who are joining us as far as Bible study is concerned. Uh, I see people popping up in the chat and we thank God for your presence as far as that's concerned. I am in Goldsboro, North Carolina, as we're in the home stretch as far as the run for uh, the presidency of General Baptist State Convention of North Carolina. And I am crisscrossing the state of North Carolina, but I wanted to do all that I can to make sure that I am doing my Bible studies. Uh, really want to be very intentional about that. So I'm glad that you all are joining us as far as this time is concerned. Let us bow our heads for a word of prayer as we sense what it is that God would want to impart to us during this particular time. God, we come to you and we thank you for the wonderful opportunity to study your word. And as we prepare to study your word, oh God, we pray that you, the master teacher, the ultimate rabbi, will show up, teach us your precepts, let your word be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our pathway. We bless your name, oh God, because we realize that as we learn more about you, we realize how much we don't know about you. And how we would never fully understand you because you're really beyond our comprehension. And yet you desire to be in relationship with finite creatures like us. So, Lord, we pray that you will uh, illuminate our hearts and minds so that we can understand as well as apply and live what you desire for us to know. It's in Jesus name. We do pray and we claim it done. Amen. 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 We're continuing dealing with the uh, problem of evil. And uh, I want to today to talk about, uh, does God fulfill God's will? Does the will of God always come to pass? I want to talk about that. And I want us to focus on two passages of scripture, Romans 9, 22 and 23. And Romans 9, 22 and 23 reads in the New King James Version of the Word of God. What if God wanted to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long suffering, the vessels of wrath prepared for destruction? All right. Hold it right there just for a moment. Prepared for destruction. And then he goes on to say um, that he might make known the vessels, make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy, which he had prepared even beforehand for glory. Now, that is an astounding and an incredible statement that Paul is making. And, and let me, if I could, I'm going to read verse 24 too. Um, even us whom he called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. So for all practical purposes, God is in the process of revealing the very essence of who God is as far as our reality is concerned and as far as our eternality is concerned. And then I want to also call our attention to Revelation, Revelation chapter four, Revelation chapter four. Uh, and I want to look at verse 11, Revelation chapter four, verse 11. And it reads, 
You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will, they exist and were created. All right. So let's get ready to have some fun with this because I believe that I want to take you all into some deep, deep waters today talking about the will of God. And what we have before us is this inanimated object having a conversation with Paul. And it is a rhetorical device that Paul is using um, as far as the potter talking back to uh, Paul, well, the, the clay rather talking back to Paul and really asking God questions. And so as we unpack this in a very wonderful, meaningful way, uh, the imaginary inanimated object asks a question, what if God wanted to show his wrath and to make his power known, endure much long suffering, the vessels of wrath, prepare for destruction that he might make known the vessels of his glory, on the vessels of mercy, which he had prepared beforehand for glory. So here's what we got to wrestle with. Who can resist the will of God? And that's a great question. Uh, is the will of God something that is inevitable, that you can't stop, that it's going to happen regardless, and we're just puppets? You know, whatever come, what may, we're just puppets as far as this reality is concerned and we have no bearing on what the outcome is going to be. We're just puppets. So who can resist the will of God? Uh, Cause God's going to do what God wants to do. And I want to read a quote that uh, an author uh, wrestles with a guy named Philip Hughes in a book, The True Image. He wrestles with, with this thought. And I want to read, I want to read, read this. And then I want to kind of pick this apart. He says, the sovereignty of God is indeed absolute and his will cannot fail fulfillment. Okay. But to conceive or think of the so divine sovereignty in such a way that nothing whatsoever can happen that is not in accord with the will of God rather than holding that nothing whatsoever can happen that can defeat the will of God means if it is taken to its logical conclusion that even a closing or opening of a door and all the moves in a game of chess are predetermined by God. It is difficult to see how such a view does not leave us with a God who is the author of sin in a world in as much as he has regarded to having sanctioned and decreed it for the promotion of God's own purposes. As the conclusion of his discussion of divine election, the apostle does not pretend to understand, but simply by exclamation marvels at the unfathomable riches of God's wisdom and knowledge and the unsearchability of God's ways. What are we talking about here? Here it goes. This author, object, 
object to the will of God in specifics as absolute and allow it in general. In other words, he is saying the will of God cannot fail in its fulfillment. So how can it be fulfilled in general when it has not been decreed or explained or laid out with particularities or specificities? In other words, here's what I want you all to wrestle with. The general, for example, Jesus dying on a cross, being crucified, that's general. But you had to have some specifics that lead up to Jesus being crucified. For example, Judas' betrayal, Peter's denial, uh, Herod uh, not condemning him, Pilate being scared, the Jews and the Gentiles spitting on him, all of this stuff, all those things are the specifics of what leads to the resurrection, I mean, the uh, crucifixion of Jesus. And the author is saying that even those things had to have God's hand in it, had to be predestined to happen. All right. Now, uh, I'm getting ready to really take us into some deep waters because what we got to understand is this, is because God is who God is, we have to wrestle with the question that the crucifixion was preordained. We also have to wrestle with the question, are all the events that led to it was preordained? Okay? This, this is what we're talking about, the will of God. Because since the death of Christ is the result of the mean, and it cannot be attained apart from the means, then the only way in which the will of God can be sure not to fail in fulfillment is that if the means to it are similarly ordained. In other words, all the different specificities that lead to the generality, all of that stuff, Peter's denial, Judas' betrayal, uh, the Roman soldiers coming and capturing Jesus, all of that stuff, according to Hughes, had to be preordained. All right? And this is where we're getting ready to have some fun. This is where we're getting ready to have some fun. Because God is such a detailed God that not even the sparrow falls without God's knowledge. And God is so detailed that God has numbered even every hair on your head. As a matter of fact, not only has God numbered every hair on your head, he's numbered the follicles as well. So if you're bald-headed and you ain't got no hair, your follicles are even numbered. God is a God of detail and God is such a God of detail that God, when God created the universe, laid out every detail of the universe. All right. Uh, if, if God wasn't concerned about the details, that ain't a big God. That's not a big God. God is concerned about every detail that is going to come forth to bring to pass what God wants to bring to pass, all right? So if the death of Jesus was preordained, I'm going somewhere with this, but not the purchase of the nails and not the hammer and not Peter's denial, not Judas's betrayal and not what the Roman soldiers did, not what Pilate did. Uh, uh, what kind of God do we have? What really is Hughes avoid avoiding making Jesus the savior of sinners while denying God's sovereignty over how all of that came to pass. 
In other words, I want you to understand that the end cannot be so detached from the means as far as God's working stuff out is concerned. All right. Okay. Now, watch this. Because here's the truth that you and I got to wrestle with. We live in a cause and effect world. All right. We live in a cause and effect world. And so this author, when he wrestles or lays out that statement I read, he is confusing the issue. Check this out by using emotional field terms about God. Follow me saying that if God decreed the presence of sin in this world, that will make God the author of sin. Okay. And if God is the author of sin, who is responsible for it? Y'all got that? Y'all got that? So, so, so if God decreed the presence of sin in the world, that would, according to Hughes, make God the author of sin. And if God is the author of sin, how in the world can we worship a God like that? Now, here's where I'm getting ready to drop the bombshell. We're getting ready to do deep theology right now. Decreeing the existence of sin does not make God the author of sin or responsible for sin. Ooh, let, 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 let me do the deep teaching. God decreed water. God decreed mountains. God decreed birds. God decreed fish. God decreed humanity. God spoke a whole lot of stuff into existence, but God is none of the above. God ain't water. God ain't dry land. God ain't mountains. God ain't birds. God ain't human. As far as our humanity is concerned, God decreed the entire creation, but God is distinguished from creation. In other words, God decreed everything we see as far as creation is concerned, but God is not part of it. Because God is above it and beyond it. Because God has to be above it and beyond it in order to create it. Am I making any sense? All right. So let's 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 drill down. Because this is where the, uh, Hughes also messed up. He he fails to understand that the Bible uses the phrase God's will in two distinct manners. Now I'm getting ready to teach you some stuff. We're getting ready to drill down. So sometimes the word means that which from all eternity, God has decreed to happen. All right. So check this out. Romans 9, uh, 19. Who will say to me then, why does he still find fault for who has resisted his will? That's Romans 9, 19. All right. So there is God's decretive will. In other words, God decrees some stuff or God allows some things to happen. That's what we've been discussing. God's decretive, D-E-C-R-E-T-I-V-E, -E -E, God's decretive will. All right. Okay. God's decretive will. But then there's another flip side. Uh, when in the Bible, it talks about the will of God. Uh, Psalm 40 verse eight, I would delight to do your will Oh, my God, and your law is in my heart. So there's God's decretive will, but Psalm 40, verse 8, talks about God's directive will. God's directive will, D-I-R-E, 
C-T-I-V-E. So you got God's decretive will, God's directive will. All right. God's directive will are the commandments by which God shows humanity how we should live. Okay. Boy, I'm, I'm getting ready to take us on a deep dive. So when we look at the Bible, we have to make a distinction between what God decrees and what God directs. All right. For example, for example, um, if you read in 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 29, uh, it says, for the strength of Israel will not lie nor relent. For God is not a man that he should relent. Okay. And that word relent basically means repent. And yet, in Genesis chapter 6, verse 7, um, it writes, the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I've created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing and birds and air, for I am sorry, for I have repented that I ever made them. All right. So 1 Samuel 15 explains the nature of God, that God never changes God's mind. Genesis 6-7 talks about in what we call anthropomorphic or human terms, what God thinks a man's sinful behavior. In other words, were I a human being, I would change my mind about having created man. So God is expressing God's displeasure and humanity's disobedience. He resorts to terminology we can understand. All right. To, to, as we would say, to put it where the, where the cows can get it. All right. So here's the deep dive. When we talk about God's directive will in human terms, the writer is saying this is what God wants you to do. When we speak of God's decretive will, the writer is telling us this is what God is going to do. One perspective has humanity in view as the actor. The other perspective has God as the actor. All right. Y'all got that? Y'all with me so far? All right. God's directive will tells us what God wants us to do. God's decretive will tells us what God is going to do. All right. Now, let me push this because I want to go back to deal with this issue. Is God the author of sin because God allows for it to happen? No. Because God allows for the existence of sin in such a way that humanity themselves freely become the authors of their own sin. Okay. In other words, God allows for sin to exist, but humanity chooses to sin. All right. Humanity chooses to sin. All right. All right. Clearly, it is man, not God, who makes the choice to sin. Therefore, it is humanity, not God, who sins. Which leads us, which leads us to this one big word that we don't like to talk about today. Accountability. Accountability. <laughs> Accountability. All right. Because the author... Hughes thinks that if God predestined all of humanity's action, then God is responsible for our sins. 
but God is not responsible for what humanity does do. We are. That is the kind of people that God has created. Persons that will be responsible for their actions. Uh-oh. Here we go. Here we go. Here go the bombshell. And you need to understand that God's going to hold humanity responsible for the choices we make. Nothing is plainer in the pages of scripture. God holds us responsible. We can't hold God responsible. Okay? Who are we to hold God responsible? That's, that's crazy. Who are we to hold God accountable? That, that's crazy. Because to be responsible to oneself defeats the concept of accountability. You can't be accountable to yourself. You got to be accountable to somebody else which means that there's no one who can tell God what to do. There's nobody that can call God on the carpet. Because God can do whatever he wants to, however God wants to, whenever God wants to, whoever God wants to, because God is holy and God is wise. No one has the right or the ability to call God on the carpet, particularly weak, sinful, limited, and, and mind-distorted folks like us. Because God is not, watch this, responsible to us. <laughs> We're responsible to God. Let me say it again. We're responsible to God. And so here's what Paul is really drilling down in verse 22 and verse 23. Paul is saying, God expressly declares that God can do whatever God wants to, however God wants to. God can allow for sin to exist in order to demonstrate God's power and judgment, as well as God's glory and mercy. Okay. All right. God can permit sin to demonstrate God's power and judgment and God's grace and mercy. All right. Because really what Paul is saying that while God allows for us to make the choice to sin, God puts up with it for holy and divine purposes. Because check this out. And here, here's where the rubber hits the road. Because what God decreed takes place through responsible agents who, without being forced, do only that which they want to do. So God is neither the author of sin, nor does God sanction sin, nor does God approve sin. God is not responsible for sin, even though God permits it. Those that are guilty of sin are responsible. Did y'all catch that? God permits it. God gives us the choice to choose, but God ain't responsible. 
All right. All right. So here's the drill down. And this is what I want you to understand. Paul does not pretend to understand all the purposes of God's, even when it comes to the existence of evil and sin and suffering. All right. All right. But what Paul does bring up and what Paul does bring to bear is this one thing that we got to wrestle with and we'll do that next week. Here it is. Humanity's freedom of choice. Let me say it again. Humanity's freedom of choice. In other words, just in the garden, like in the garden of Eden, Adam and Eve chose to listen to a snake. You and I have the freedom of choice. Here's, oh God, thank you for this revelation. And, and, and here's what I really want to drop on you. All things work together for the good of those who love the Lord, who are called according to his purpose. All things work together for the good of those who love the Lord, who are called according to his purpose. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to become the children of God. Now watch this. Basically, this is what I'm helping you to understand. That based on the choices that you and I make, there are already predetermined results or consequences. You choose A, there's a predetermined course of consequences. You choose B, there's a predetermined course of uh, uh, results or consequences. All right? So the predetermination ain't in your choice. <gasps> the predetermination is in what happens when you make a choice. Oh, I think I just, I think I just, I think it just gave me the revelation. The predetermination is not your choice. Uh, it's what you do when you make the choice. So if you make a choice, if you make a choice, there are some predetermined results or outcomes for the choices that we made. And that's what happened with Adam and Eve in the garden. That's what Genesis chapter three is all about. Genesis chapter three, God told them, if you choose to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall what? Surely die. And as we would say, uh, my grandmother, great-grandmother, Sophronia Sandifer, you say, you don't believe fat meets greasy. <laughs> okay. You don't believe it. But it is. So they're predetermined choices, predetermined consequences or results based on the choices that we make. So I, I, listen, that was a short Bible study, wasn't it? but I hope it was good to you. I'm done for today. I'm done for today, but I hope and pray that this has been, been, been good. I want to uh, uh, see if there are any questions that anyone has uh, in the chat before uh, I close out. Any questions? Any questions that anyone has? If so, put it in the chat. And uh, I'll try to address it. Any questions? Any questions? So next week, we're going to talk about um, humanity's ability to choose. 
are we are we free moral agents of 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 choice? Do we have the ability to choose? We're gonna we're gonna talk about that next week, and uh, uh, really do some unpacking as far as that's concerned. Well, listen, um, uh, read Romans chapter eight verses five through eight. No, Second Chronicles does not relate to this lesson. No, sir. Uh-uh. Something totally different. <laughs> you you can you can give that lift, but but it's something totally different. Um, as far as that's concerned, when 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 um, when when the Lord said, "My people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways," then will I hear from heaven and I will forgive their sins and heal the land. While that is uh, us turning away from our sin, uh, I don't want to overlay it on this lesson because this lesson is dealing with this lesson. Even though it's dealing with predetermined outcomes, if they pray and stuff, you can apply that. Um, Brother Amos, you can apply that as far as as far as if they turn from their wicked ways, God's going to heal the land. However, what I want what I'm trying to take us to is something even greater than than just that. Uh, but that's a great point that you bring up, uh, uh, Brother Amos, as far as that's concerned. All right. Any other questions? Any other questions? Any other questions? All right. If not, I, I want to close uh, at this time and I want to. uh uh, let you know that if you feel led to give, if you feel led to give, you're more than 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 able to do that at this particular time. You can give either by mailing check or cash. I mean, check or money order to the church at 1401 Allen Street, Charlotte, North Carolina. Or you can give check, cash or money order, bring it by the church. Just call the church office to make sure someone is there to receive it at 704-334-5309. Make sure someone is there to receive it. As far as your offering is concerned, you can also give through ACS uh, through Church Life or through ACS, or you can give through the app called GiveLify, and you can give that under TNT, and uh, it would be greatly appreciated. Just want to let you all know that we have raised, as far as uh, the Charlotte Rescue Mission is concerned, forty-four thousand five hundred and some change. So we are. 90% at our goal of $50,000 to be a blessing as far as the Charlotte Rescue Mission is concerned. I want to thank you all so very, very much for your graciousness, your generosity. St. Paul is a very giving, generous church, and uh, God is going to honor our faithfulness as far as being a blessing to others who are beyond us. And, and that's what it means to be a, a follower of Jesus, helping those who may not be able to reciprocate. And so uh, I want to commend, again, St. Paul. Uh, I love you all. Thank God that the Lord has allowed for me to serve you all as far as uh, over the last six years. Looking forward to even more years of doing greater work as far as the kingdom is concerned so that the Lord will be pleased. Well, listen, uh, have uh, uh, enjoy the rest of the time that the Lord has given you on this wonderful day. And uh, I pray that uh, on tomorrow that uh, you will be a, even better than you've been today. May God bless you. Have a smile upon you. This is my benediction as well as my prayer for you.